<laughs> uh, happy New Year, Tom. Happy New Year, Heron. Good to talk to you again. I'm sorry about that. My yeah. Skype connects on my phone too, so uh, everything was beeping and, and carrying on. <sighs> it's not easy to keep up with all this shit. Believe you know? me. Believe me, yeah. For a for a genetically equivalent caveman to be dealing with all this technology uh, is quite a yeah. challenge. Possibly so. Possibly <laughs> so. Well, uh, gosh, it's been quite some time since we last spoke. I've uh, just cleaned up the house a little bit. I've set up my mic so it's now hanging, which means that I can use my mouse and keyboard and stuff uh. without any issue. Hopefully. And I Why don't you use a headset? I don't understand that. I don't like. I well, I've got headphones, but I don't like yeah. things. We talked a little bit about oh, okay. my yeah. experience with speech therapy. Oh, okay, so that's I, it. Okay. I don't like having anything near my mouth. Ah. I also have a very loud projecting voice, and my ability to actually direct that slightly yeah. away from the microphone means that you are not completely blasted. And I think if there was yeah. something hanging in front of my mouth, then the levels yeah. would just be all wrong. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it works fine. It's uh, it's just I just really like my headset. I can't imagine doing it any other way, but obviously you can. <laughs> no, I yes, I think we, to each their own. Let's yeah. put it that way. As long as it works, that's the important thing, you know. Uh, yeah, as long as I can understand you and I'm not getting feedback and stuff, then I'm happy. Very good, very good. So, um, do you have any topics you want to discuss? Oh, I don't know. A lot of a lot has happened. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, no, I don't know. You you're usually equipped with something to talk about. I'll let you take it. Well, I have I have a number of listener submitted topics. That's one of the benefits. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah uh-huh. Not uh, not recording for a while is that you get some listener submitted topics. But I wanted to start with the. Scrooges or two Scrooges? <laughs> because yeah. I registered both the Scrooges and two Scrooges.com, the domain. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, based on the fact that this would be yeah. our, and my anticipation was that we would have recorded a few more yeah. podcasts at the end of last year and actually gone through this. Yeah. Scrooges.com is a liquor outlet, I think in Alabama or somewhere around there. So we can't <laughs> use Scrooges.com. But um, what's your thinking with regards to this name? Oh, I like two Scrooges. Okay, I think I, I think I think that's funny as hell. Okay, so we'll do two Scrooges dot com. I'll get it. Set up. <laughs> and I recently set up a wiki for Model Rail Radio, and I think I'm just going to create a wiki site for it, and then we can just take it in whatever different direction. We can post show notes and just. Well, keep who it knows it. where this thing is going to go? Yeah. You know, that's the fun of this. You know, is you never know what the hell's going to happen. You know. Yes. Yes, I'm into that. So, um, okay, twoscrooges.com it'll be. I'll, I'll lose the Scrooges. If anyone who's listening and wants to own the Scrooges... But, I mean, are you going to ne- change the name of this podcast or whatever then to okay. Two Scrooges? Yeah. It, it'll be a rollout. Yeah. I'm not yeah. anticipating doing it with this particular yeah. episode, and I still have a few additional folk who want yeah. to be recorded on Stone Ape. In fact, what <laughs> I might do is actually keep the two going in parallel. I might use Stone Ape for all my other... Conversational sure. podcast, yeah. then devote this just to you and me. Well, whatever you want to do. Like I say, this has been your baby, really. You're the guy who created this, so it, it, I, I'll give you my opinions, and you'll do whatever you think you need to do. But, uh, look, let's just confirm here: you're happy with two Scrooges, and you're happy with the kind of format. Well, as long as you, as long as it's in, it always going to be just two people. Certainly. 
you know, if if you get a third person in here, then then that that's why I was thinking Scrooge's would be better because it's a more open possibility. But uh, if that's taken, then the universe apparently wants uh, dialogues. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So two Scrooge's dot com. It is, um, like I say, does it have to be dot com? Uh, I didn't. I, I don't know. I've just got this sort of basic reaction against dot com because of my prefer? hippie stuff. Well, .net would be uh, meaningless, you know, or almost any or .org, you know. Uh, I I always prefer those to com just because you know it's I got all these capitalistic for that. So yeah. well, I'll no, see what I've got. It'll be fine, you know. Com is what everybody. I, I think it's, it's it's my own little peculiarity. I don't think most people react the way I do. But. Well, it's funny, a number of people do. When I started Noble8 at Noble8.com, coming from Australia, having a .com address was just, you know, it was the bling, it was the styling, it was yeah. the, it showed that you'd arrived. And certainly right, yeah. associated with Noble8 has got anything remotely <laughs> commercial, but I maintain .com, I maintain .net and yeah. .au and everything else for other things. And I've always found it quite strange because there are a number of things which are clearly commercial that use .net and .org. I'm I'm more sensitive to that, but uh-huh. really, I don't see it. I don't know. I mean, I'll see. I'll see if we can get to Scrooge's .net as well. What, listen, what do you do? Like I say, it's not a big deal. It's just you know one of those little quirks I have. Yeah. My only concern yeah. is it may have already been captured by people that saw. Oh, they registered to Scrooge's <laughs> So let's pick up. The <laughs> let's get net. Maybe yeah. they'll buy it from yeah, us. Exactly. <laughs> So there's all that kind of nonsense. So we, we may end up with twoscrooges.com just just as is. But anyway, so that that's that piece. Is it gonna and how is is, is it gonna be the, the numeral two and then Stooges or spelled Scrooges, out? Scrooges, Heron. Scrooges. Scrooge. You said Stooge. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> this is the second time. No, it's going to be uh, T W O. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. I was still thinking Stooges. (laughs) Anyway, well, that'll work out. So, I thought about using the numeral two, and then I just, yeah, I don't know. These things, yeah, I'll look. There are all these things to consider, and and not much to go on to help you make the decision. Certainly. Certainly. See, that's interesting, though. That your tendency was this way. I would have, I think, just envisioning it in my head, I would have used the numeral too because it's separate I mean, no, it makes it real clear that there are two parts when there's two when it's all spelled out sometimes I have trouble parse I mean that's a relatively easy one but parsing it into which words go where and where the breaks are is something to consider and uh, so the numeral eliminates any possible confusion okay well I'll see what's still available here and work from there You're, you have my vote <laughs> But uh, irrespective of that, there will be at least two, the word two, Scrooges, yeah. the word Scrooges.com that will be used for this thing going forward. Okay, good. And then all the other possible iterations, if they exist, to be confirmed. can go to later. Stone Ape, yeah. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 they'll go to the two Scrooges, whatever, well, whatever we converge the site ah, to. Ah, I see, okay. And then Stone Ape will continue on as it was for other discussions. We'll, we'll just keep it going in that way. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, luckily, like I say, we don't really have to make up our mind. You can just do everything. Well, some <laughs> of these know. things are blocked. I mean, I think the nature yeah. of domain names is that. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes these things are blocked, but um, they are what they are. 
So I was surprised that I got .NET for Gendo. I mean, I always thought .NET was supposed to be for you know some particular purpose, but I when I got Gendo, I got Gendo.net, and that was the end of it. They didn't ask or. Mm. Yeah. Now, there are a number of commercial outfits. I think Verizon.net, and there are a variety of commercial outfits.net oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. And their claim was always, oh, we've got something to do with the internet, so .net is accepted. And org is, I always thought, supposed to be for non-profits and no, stuff. not at all. Not w- at all. What is? What was the original Well, I think that was the original that, anticipation, but my uh, understanding yeah. is they never actually enforced that. Although they no. enforced that. Well, the company I work for is a .org. It's localnewspapers.org. And, yeah. and these guys are the money-grubbingest capitalists <laughs> I've ever run into. And I was really surprised. I was, you know, I would think they'd want com. I mean, that, you know, I was really surprised they went well, with org. Maybe get com. Maybe com was already taken. Ah, yeah. Ah, local newspapers. That's right. That could. That's pretty obvious. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I just assumed something bad, <laughs> something nefarious. Yes. Right. Uh, somehow they're trying to sneak around, trying to look like do-gooders or something. You know. Mm. Mm. Okay. So we have a wide variety of topics submitted by at least two listeners, and we have a couple of topics from me. Let me start with uh, Paul Brian Hancock, who's a new listener. He's from Adelaide, South Australia, actually, my, my birth town, but now living in Hong Kong. And he asks, um, what our thoughts are with regards to the subject of fate? Ooh. Now, he asks, is there, uh, or do we think there's a larger metasystem driving events in our lives uh, in some yeah. way? Or is it yeah. just random? See, I don't think it has to be either or. I don't either. I think, yeah, I think uh, both of those answers are, in fact, theories. And they're, it's like the wave-particle duality, mm. you know. Uh, they're both true under different circumstances and depending upon how you choose to look at it. Mm. And so I think, yes, you can find evidence for fate, and that becomes a reasonable way to think about the universe. It's all, you know, it's what it is, and that's that. Or, uh, or it's random or whatever, you know, and they're all true. <laughs> Here's my thought. And the original metaphor I used to use as a, a record, a vinyl record, with uh-huh. a needle moving along the vinyl record, but a CD works equally as well. Yeah. We, we have a very much a perception of time in terms of the interaction with the needle of the record, but the record itself is something that's quite independent. And I think the way that we look at things like fate, particularly in terms of the conclusions <coughs> of certain things, seems to lend ourselves very heavily to this notion that things are actually random after the fact. But it could quite easily be just a needle in a record where our perspectives are hinged on the fact that we are the needle in the record as opposed to the record (laughs) itself. And I think that is something that I reflect on quite heavily, and certainly the original manuals of Noble Ape and with my own artificial life simulation programming is something I've reflected on very heavily. I mean, obviously, the quantities of random that exist in the actual world appear to be very great, but the reality is once things are set... They are, they are very heavily set. Well, the problem is your definition of things, though, because, in fact, you never, you don't, there's no, you know, there are no closed systems. So you really can't say when some influence from anywhere might create a catastrophe. Certainly. You know, that, that's completely and in, irrevocably unpredictable. Yes. I mean, that, that's the whole, gets down to quantum stuff, too, is that you, it is, 
Well, and again, it's, not, it's, it's one analysis. It's not the, the truth. That's, that's an analysis that sheds light on certain so, things. But you know. in, terms of the, in terms of the kind of pop culture definition of quantum, in terms of the, and also this hinges on chaos as well, the idea of the wings of the butterfly creating yeah. a tornado and these kind of things. Yeah. Um, my view, particularly having... Oh, this is another interesting thing. We talked maybe a, a few shows ago about... Uh, Stephen Hawking, mm -hmm. and I studied uh, physics at university. I have, a, I have a BSc. I started an honors program and then decided to move to the Bay Area. I wasn't sure if you were aware of that through our discussion. No, I don't think I was specifically. I knew that you speak uh, well about these things, so I, I, I know you're educated, but I didn't know you'd actually gone to that trouble. <laughs> So, How far along did you go? I mean, do you actually have in, a degree? I did a four-year degree, and I was doing my <laughs> honors year when I moved to the Bay Area. I mean, <laughs> I had a supervisor who said to me, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can come back and study physics whenever you want. Move to the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I basically wrote yeah. that. What, what, what specific, I mean, did you have a, I mean, you know, I you were still an undergraduate, but I mean, as a, what areas uh, of physics were you interested Computational oh, okay. biophysics, oh, okay. membrane yeah. biophysics, um, yeah. but I'd done a lot of uh, a lot of theoretical physics, uh, a lot of applied stuff. We had we had funding from uh, a laser manufacturer and a jet engine manufacturer, which kind of as as with most physics, perturbed the way it was taught at uh, my particular university. I wanted to do more computational physics, but the academics really weren't there, and the one academic who was there. Um, was kind of a curious character. He programmed in Fortran, and the first class I took with him, I showed that uh, an IBM XT running Quick Basic could actually solve the problems faster than his multi, you know, multi-vector supercomputer running Fortran. He also had a variety of quite curious views associated with programming. I mean, by this point, I had already written antiviral software for the Australian government. I'd written compiler software, and I was currently employed in the university programming their um, experimental physics computers. So I already had a kind of professional lineage by the age of, I guess, 19. Um, and I'd launched an late as well. Um, so I was probably about 20 when I first encountered this fellow. And he was violent, like literally violently opposed to me continuing on at the university, but thankfully there was another fellow who was in the chemistry department who uh, was very interested in me doing, um, or being a part of his uh, membrane biophysics program, which was all computational simulation. Um, so I sided with him to the violent objections of this other fellow who was just a bit of a nut. Um, I, I basically, I'd been able to create publishable results from some of the stuff that he was working on I really showed him up that he just wasn't either... He wasn't computationally gifted, he wasn't mathematically gifted, and he just had a very kind of curious relationship with the department. So basically I, I had made an enemy early on in the department, and um, <laughs> the only way for me to kind of continue with um, my honours was to do it slightly outside of the department, but still in yeah. the department standards. And um, in parallel to this, <laughs> I had similar kind of bureaucratic nonsense with my philosophy degree, and just thought it was time to, to get out of academia. But um, well, yeah. talking, talking a little bit... 
So let me just tell you, because I have, we have quite similar stories in there. The reason I have uh, a degree in philosophy is because I had to leave the music department <laughs> because I started a, a revolution. The chairman of the department had conducted the choir for years. And I love singing in the choir, and that was great fun. And I ne- and I never really thought about it. You know, uh, we were okay. We weren't a great choir, but you know, and it was always traumatic and getting ready for concerts and stuff. Uh, until he was sick for a week, mm. and uh, a teacher from the chemistry department came and took over the chorus. And it turns out, though, that she actually has had a master's degree in choral conducting. Mm. <laughs> you know, and in one week. She did more for the, I mean, I just didn't know what I had been missing until she came in and started stopping us and saying, no, no, listen yeah, to this, yeah. you know, and in a, within a week, I mean, she had transformed the chorus yeah. and I was just blown away, you know, and I started talking to other people and everybody said, yeah, shit, man, this, you know, <laughs> fuck, this is awesome, man. We need her to be conducting the chorus. So I was naively assumed that because that's what people said, that they'd actually back me up. Uh-oh. And uh, so I actually wrote a letter to the oh, department, God. you know, uh, and, and, uh, and, it, and, then when it, and then there came the, the moment of confrontation during uh, the rehearsal, you know, a rehearsal. Um, and basically, I was left standing alone. Mm. And, and it, nobody, <laughs> nobody would, would say anything. Mm. So anyway, I uh, changed my major. They they wanted me to. They had all sorts of restrictions on. I mean, things they never really tested on, like piano proficiency. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of assumed. For me, if there, you know, it was like uh, I was going to have to spend a, at least a year of damned hard work getting my piano chops up. Yeah. So anyway, I became a philosopher. Yeah. No, I had exactly the same experience <laughs> in philosophy, but through different means. And yeah, I think. <laughs> I think basically universities are really heavily oriented towards getting people to conform to whatever insanity the... Well, that's the society. It's not the, just the university. The I problem think, was with the people, well, not the I, university. I would agree in part, but I think academia is just such a political enterprise and it so works against the, I guess, the uh, idealistic vision of kind of academia. No, I, well, I left. That's why yeah. I left uh, uh, academia. Although it's, compared to the rest of the world, I think that I probably made a mistake. It's probably better there than almost anything else you could be doing, do as bad as that. that is. I do wonder about that. And I do feel that occasionally. But then I look at friends that have become academics where they can't live in the same city because they can't work at the same institutions or even the same city that has multiple institutions. And a, variety of other factors and i think they're economically crippled as well i think monday academia really isn't as lucrative as it was you know even well it's not about lucrative it's about just having a you know a decent living and having the time to do what you want to do i mean compared to working a regular job being a professor if you if you got the right gig mm. is, a, is a good gig mm. <laughs> you know yeah. up until very i mean i've basically my father and i and he's a generation older than me and a professor. <laughs> God, I hope he's a generation older than you. Uh, well, some people <laughs> less so, but no, he's a solid generation older than me. Um, well, you're wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I mean, the very, I mean, that that is redundant. He's older than you, but a gener- by no, definition, if, your if father me, would be he, a generation no, no, older. No, no. 
But if he had me when he was 13, for example, which is perfectly plausible in the areas of Australia that I... Well, but he'd, yeah. still, be, uh, he'd still be a generational... I know it's just, Okay, I'm being picky on language use. Go on. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. he and I have, have um, co- constantly kind of fluctuated. I mean, when I was 17, I earned more than he did. And then in my mid-20s, I earned more than he did. And I think now <laughs> I probably earn more than he does. So I think the, the but the, the issue with regards to things being lucrative is not about oh wow the amazing stuff we can buy. It's about the idea that um, if you have this amazing visionary you know thing where you get to uh, spend all your time exploring your own intellectual pursuits, which is exactly not what academia is. Most of no. us teaching first year courses. Uh, you know, no, I, I understand. I understand. But even if you are then living on cat food in a single bedroom apartment, <laughs> it really it, lo- it it becomes a little tarnished. That's what I'm saying. So I, think oh, I agree. We, yeah, yeah, it needs to be a comfortable living. Yeah. yeah, that that's that's all I want is just not to have to worry about being homeless and starving to death. Yeah. So I guess returning to the original point, which was this notion of quantum mechanics and chaos theory and the wings ah. of butterflies and these kind of things. I would say that the effect of, um, well, even things like Brownian motion, but the ways in which things can be buffered and perturbed means that a lot of these micro-effects really don't have the profound kind of flow-through that one would anticipate. And I think the thing, there's a kind of popular culture view of the wings of the butterfly creating the tornado, but the the reality within physics is that there are almost... um, almost membranous layers between the various scales and the interactions between these layers are only very, very minor in terms of the possible perturbations. Well, and also it's not as simple as one. It, there are how many billion butterflies. There, it's Certainly. the combination of all of that kind of randomness, all uh, all simultaneously interacting <laughs> infinitely. Yes. So, well, yeah, yeah and, and you never know. And again, those membranes break. True, but the, the the nature of the dampening effects of these uh, interactive forces, I think, is something that anyway. This is well, it's the linear causality problem. There is thinking the that butterfly caused the the cyclone True. because it's, it's not that butterfly. It's the combination of that butterfly and the rest of the fucking universe. <laughs> And sadly, unfortunately, I think for a large portion of that, the, the universe is perhaps slightly larger than the butterfly. In the well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, the, the whole system is, is complex beyond our imagination. And, and you, wh- you understand this implicitly. My concern is that the kind of popular culture description of these things leaves people oh. thinking that quantum remember, affects listen, brain states affects. Yes. Rem- remind me to remind you that my... Co- concept of language monkeys. I it's subtle. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just it's just under the surface. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, I mean, when you comment like that about you worry about the fact that people aren't going to understand that kind of stuff, I, I'd be happy if they were misunderstanding that kind of stuff. Hmm. Most people, again, really aren't interested in, in anything much except what's on TV tonight. Hmm. Hmm. Again, you hang around in. In a very rarefied atmosphere. <laughs> in recent weeks, well, in probably the past couple of weeks, I haven't been hanging around in that kind of atmosphere. So I don't know, really, the, the past few weeks have been quite 
interesting in terms of the various perturbations. Oh, yeah, yeah, holidays and, and relatives. and. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if you've been following this, but my wife's grandmother was killed on um, December 27th. So I went back to Southern California. I did various things, like I helped ID the body. I communicated with the train company that had hit her and killed her. Uh, and I wrote her eulogy and various other things. So I've been spending a lot of time with the yeah. yeah. in recent uh, in recent weeks. In fact, the irony was that they came here to stay with us. I was completely exhausted after that fact and thought, well, at least I'll have a few. I'll go back to work. <laughs> and, I'll have, and right. literally the day they got back, they had the email yeah. message from the sheriffs and what have you. And the whole thing kind of spiraled uh, in its own particular direction. On the day of her funeral as well, my grandfather in Australia passed away. Um, so I have had a, a series of quite interesting destruction oh, yeah. events, which actually reflects very heavily on this notion of fate. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. The, the notion of these things being constructed, particularly because there are so many unknowns associated with my wife's grandmother's death still, um, that it is one of these curious things that we might, we will never know absolutely everything, but I think we know a good deal at this stage. Uh-huh. But anyway, so... I'd does it make a difference, I wonder? I mean, does it make a difference to know what really happened? It made a huge... For example, the body was... Um, the identification of the body was such that they... Everyone told us that the family didn't have to ID the body. And my mother-in-law was really unsettled by that because she still had an element of doubt in her own mind. So I... Um, through talking with the, um, I don't even know what the term is, but the, the fellow who was looking after the body said to her, he gave us quite a detailed description of the physical state, and then I said, do you think you could recognise her through her hand? And the hand was um, uh, visible. Uh, uh -huh. It had some slight abrasions on it, but aside from that, yeah. it was absolutely pristine. Yeah. And I took my mother-in-law in, I was the only other person in there, we viewed the hand, we both touched the hand, and that gave the sense of closure, I think, well, an element of closure, at least identifying the fact that it was her mother. Yeah. Um, we also now have... And the, and the hand, I mean, every, the, the hand was, in fact, convincing. Clearly recognizable. I mean, people, I mean, people you, you guys actually do know her hand. Yes, certainly. Okay. And, yeah. yeah, in terms of the age spots, but also just the... the Hands are relatively unique, and I think about. Well, yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is I wonder how many of us actually, I mean, really do notice hands. I notice you know, hands a lot. I'm very manually fixated, and I do notice other people's hands quite a bit, particularly because you can tell a variety of things by people's hands. Sure, heck yes. And thankfully, my mother-in-law also clearly was familiar. I, I think I could ID probably most of the people I was close to by their hands. Yeah, uh, to a relatively good degree of accuracy, and certainly I think my mother-in-law felt that with regards to this identification. Yeah, and it meant that she didn't have to really deal with any of the other physical realities associated yeah. with the situation. So yes, I've been living in this environment. We have um, my wife's grandmother's dog, who is just phenomenal. Actually, he's a large kind of terrier creature. He's twelve and um, very arthritic, but as soon as he gets out. He used to forcibly walk my wife's uh, grandmother for a mile and then put her back in front of her house and she'd go inside. So she was incredibly <laughs> healthy. She was incredibly healthy. And now we have this yeah. dog that does the same thing to us, which is quite wonderful. 
And he's, um, we've talked a little bit about wise dogs in the past. I seem to recall having this mm. conversation with you because I think once dogs and particularly terriers or working dogs or dogs that I, I don't want to necessarily speak ill of Labradors and Golden Retrievers and these kind of dogs, but dogs that, you know, have, have some, have, um, some utilitarian purpose. Let's put it that way. They tend to have a, a very distinct and just the way he follows people around the room and he, you can tell that there's a conscious entity there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I think actually I think it has probably more to do with our own limitations. The, the fact that we can't perceive uh, entities mm. in in more animals—they're just so different. I, I've got two dogs here now, <laughs> and and one of them is a little tiny dog, and he's not going. I mean, he he can walk underneath the <laughs> the big one, you know. And, and and it's a she actually, and she but, but she's a puppy still. But she's I mean she's not growing anymore. And uh, boy, are they different? You know, they're it, it's just amazing. Uh, and their intelligences are different. The little one, I'm surprised. I've she I I've seen her watching airplanes. Yes. You know, and and the other dog uh, has never looked at an airplane, but the little one, you know, hears the noise, looks up, and tracks it. Mm. You know, that's interesting. <laughs> Genetically, dogs are fascinating. I mean, they, they are, I'm not sure of, of other creatures, but in terms of the genetic diversity of dogs and the way in which their breeding kind of created this genetic diversity, and also they have, uh, my understanding is that they have large um, chromosomal chunks that really are unnecessary aside from their size description and various mm. other things. And they're just fascinating creatures. Well, you know, you've read, I guess, about this, the stuff that's coming out in their DNA analysis now is, is turning out that the vast majority, apparently, of the DNA uh, is junk. Exactly. Stuff that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like important. 90% of it. They, I mean, it's not, it's not junk, obviously, but it just means that they don't really know what the hell's going on. Yeah. Did you read that thing about the RNA transcription errors? Certainly, yeah. I mean, that's mind-boggling. That is, that's the fundamental thing of the whole science, is that it, is the proteins are spelled out in the DNA, and they're accurately transcribed by RNA, and, oh, well, except that that's actually not the way it happens. Yes. I think the, the, current, uh, the current kind of polarization, the, the nonsensical science-religion discussion and the certainty on the part of science in these things is really missing exactly what you're saying here, that, in fact, we probably know very, very little about these very important things, and we shouldn't really be ascribing... I mean, obviously, the other extreme it, it offers, offers no insight. Well, science is always an open prospect, and uh, Einstein's come along and changed the game, and the whole game can change, and we need to be open to that. Yes. And I think we really are at a game-changing place in science right now over the next couple of decades. Mm. You know, I think uh, it's going to go through some sort of paradigm shift that's probably as important as, uh, you know, going from Newtonian to uh, relativistic physics. Certainly. Well, I would hope that that would be the case. I mean, I... My hope was that it would occur relatively early in my lifetime, and I'm still waiting. No, I, yeah, I've been disappointed. I've been, I've, I've been waiting for this for 40 years. Yeah. It was interesting, actually, your conversation with Brad Sawyer, I believe that was his name, um, because it was, 
a conversation where I disagreed with almost every point that he made, <laughs> particularly with regards to mythology. I mean, I think of Western culture as being one of the most mythologically rich in terms of the certainty and the nature of the news media and the nature of any information that we are presented is actually far more easy to understand. And this was my, oh, I've forgotten the philosopher that he was referencing, but this was my understanding of the philosopher that he was referencing as well, was that actually by understanding mythology, you have a far better understanding of reality because mythology impacts more of what we, uh, what we experience than these supposed matters of fact. And I thought it was a very curious... He kind of reinterpreted the philosopher's name escapes me now. Um, in a, well, me too. I don't even remember... Uh, yeah, you know, anyway, uh, he was talking yeah. about... Uh, oh, anyway, so but, uh, this whole notion of mythology and how it exists in our, in our everyday lives and this perception that we have some... I don't know, some factual you know, some factual basis of our lives in the West and stuff. I found that all really very curious. Oh, that's what most people think, though. I mean, that's that's the standard uh, illusion uh, that, that those language monkeys believe. They actually think they know what reality really so is. You, you have a lot of sympathy um, to Brad Sayer because you continued through, and actually it got quite heated in some points in terms of your arguing with him and then round point well maybe i should listen to this again because you know i never listen to this stuff i have al almost no memory of that <laughs> conversation I, I feel sometimes that you have very little memory of our conversations as well here and so well, well, this is a well it's true you know my mer i think i'm getting senile that's probably it but you know it 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 works and I've got computers to remember stuff that I actually need to remember. Mm. And I trust that our conversations affect me. Mm. They have an impact on me. Whether I can recall uh, the specifics, I mean, I can, when, when prodded and, and seeded with ideas, the ideas are all there. But I can't access them mm. without some prodding. Mm. And I found that actually I don't need to. Because if, if there's something I actually do need to remember, uh, I, my computers handle that for me quite nicely so uh and if something is really important i figure well you know it'll work out <laughs> so moving on then to, to other <laughs> topics that, that folks have proposed for us so benjamin walker has uh has been a, a reoccurring guest in your general stream and he sent a series of topics that he'd like us to discuss uh, and I'm just going through them. He mentioned a fellow called Tom Erb that I mentioned briefly, who originally was at Cal Arts, but apparently now is at uh, University of San Diego. And I actually befriended him on Facebook based on uh, Benjamin Walker contacting me and asking for more Tom Erb-related stories. I spent about half a day with Tom Erb in 1999. I don't have very many reflections of that, aside from the fact that we drove around an area that I used to live in L.A., in 1990, most of which had been bulldozed and rebuilt in apartment complexes on Westwood Boulevard. And we spent about half a day together. We ate in an Indonesian restaurant that was still there. And the point that he made, he was probably about my age now, and he said basically that he was slowing down and he wasn't able to do all that programming sessions. And we also... I don't know. I don't. I have very limited recollections of the time that I spent with him, but I befriended him on Facebook and given him an account of how we knew each other. And uh, let's see if he accepts my friend request. Uh, what else does he ask? He asked some questions about Noble Ape, and 
I don't really talk that much about Noble Ape here, but some background to this here. It wants to know if there's going to be an Android or an iOS version. There already is a an iPad version, uh, which I put up. And the way it works is that I spend a bit of time on Noble Ape, and if others want to do things like create an Android version, then they can create an Android version, and I'll maintain the source code, and they can maintain and what have you. So all that's coming up. He asks a question about Homeland Security. And I've been thinking about this quite recently, particularly because the way in which my wife's mother, her grandmother, uh, passed away. And all this kind of strange interconnections associated with that, associated with the kind of perception of, of the state versus uh, commercial entities and all the kind of nonsense that goes on. Homeland security and these kind of issues seem to just kind of transcend your general narrative, Heron. I'm not sure what you mean by homeland okay. security. so he wrote, the issue of homeland security, especially the idea of uh, walling ourselves in physically prevent, to prevent others from entering our country, nation states in general, do you believe the U.S. is becoming more and more theocratic <clears throat> as the years go by, albeit failed under the uh, pretense of religious freedom? That was his question. Okay. For an overall metaphor, to me, I still keep going with metamorphosis. You know, caterpillar turns into the butterfly. Studying that process in biology lends lots of uh, metaphors for how it might be working on a planetary scale. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, local politics, uh, I mean, it's all part of, it's all a single system on one level. And yeah, the, yeah. P- the part of it, or to, to, to a heronism, one of the parts of it that um, I Thank find you. fascinating is this notion that potentially there could be a substantial expunging of the human population. Oh, yeah. And my feeling is that the kind of narratives that come through, particularly the completely confused narratives that come through these ideas of homeland security seem to me I'm sympathetic. I don't I'm not I don't think it's the full story, but I'm sympathetic to the idea that if you confuse and scare people enough, you could probably get away with a a lot more than people would normally allow to happen to them. Yeah. And I think that in terms of just the ideas of personal safety, because I'm I'm sympathetic to your views, Heron. That, um, what are my views? Well, that basically, it's a whole system. There's little things that kind of perturb, but we should concentrate on, you know, the evolution of the whole or the the um, the trans. No, no, actually, no. I'm not advocating any of that stuff. That's just what I do. I think it's important that other people operate uh, under other premises. Hmm. I don't think everybody should be doing what I'm doing. True, true. But I, I guess. My concern with regards to all of this is that there needs to be, if we are going to intellect, not even intellectually combat this, but at least have an equivalent or superior answer to um, the potentially small percentage of folk that have inquiring minds and may be interested yeah. in this, yeah. that we need a, a, a coherent uh, and quite strong counter-philosophical uh, perspective. And in the case of the notion of homeland security in the commas, I think what we have now is an indication that the, the powers that be, if such things exist, really have no coherent understanding of what is going on. And rather than creating a coherent understanding of what is going on and addressing what is relatively small, 
components within a much larger system, there is this kind of craziness which basically can be used against a variety of uh, different entities and a variety of different uh, perspectives, uh, which basically then completely stifles all this notion of freedom and all these other things, if such things exist in any meaningful sense. And this, in some regard, leads into um, an extended series of conversations. I had two long conversations, one which was recorded, one which wasn't recorded, uh, with a friend in Australia who features very heavily in the 1993 writings. And he wants me to censor, to add even more censorship to the 1993 writings. And I think the thing that interests me in the 1993 writings is that what it describes in part is a few kids getting together, throwing around some ideas and forming something which may appear to be a terrorist network in the kind of contemporary viewpoint. But I think the thing that interests me in that kind of small section of the writing is that this is really what has occurred with a variety of these evil terrorist movements that we are all fighting against in the West because they hate our freedoms. And unless we have some understanding of that, that perhaps the sometimes haphazard conjunction of disaffected individuals doesn't necessarily mean terrorism, uh, is something that I think is, is kind of lost in the contemporary narrative. But... In general, I think we need to have a very coherent and probably very uh, historically based perspective in terms of actually being able to describe these things. I was driving with a co-worker, a co-worker that I have quite some time for, and we were talking about the circumstances in Afghanistan currently. And the thing that occurred to me was that he knew absolutely nothing about Afghanistan. He had a very... That's a surprise to you? Well, I, I, I guess... He he had a relatively good understanding. Apparently, that's a surprise to you. Well, I hope, I'm hopeful, Heron. I'm always hopeful. No, you're, no, you're just naive and, and refusing to deal with the fact that you're dealing with a bunch of unconscious True. language monkeys. Ah, but here's the interesting thing. Okay, so it's the turning point. It's the seed of disbelief. It's changing their views that is the critical part. Because if you assume that they are like that, and if you assume that a certain number will be swayed, the method of swaying them in the shortest possible amount of time is the critical factor. Absolutely, I agree. That's important. But I'm not much interested in trying to, do, to change anybody's mind. Mm. I'm looking for people who, who are already in the process of changing their minds mm. and uh, looking to explore that more with other people who are doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And uh, if, if, if I have to convince somebody that, that the way they talk and think is important to the fate of the planet, if you don't get it, then you're not going to be interested in what I'm doing. Hmm. And I think this is the distinction between 5% and a fraction of a percent. Yeah. Yeah. And as I'm subjected to some percentage, of, I, I feel that the thing that interests me is actually getting that switch or at least starting that process and then you can catch them once they're in that process yeah. if you see what I'm saying. Well, I think the, the history and time are on our side. I think the percentage now is much greater than it was before. I mean, a hundred years ago it was probably a thousandth of one percent. Mm. Now it's maybe close to uh, a tenth of one percent. <laughs> you know, uh, but five years from now it might be one or two percent. Certainly. I guess in this interaction, I was able, within a five-minute period, to give a 50-year history of Afghanistan, in particular the effects of the U.S. on that history. 
mm-hmm. and also a description independently that the people of Afghanistan are not, you know, rocket-propelled, grenade-hoarding, Kalashnikov-polishing, Quran-beating extremists, but are actually a group of people that have had two major, well, three if you consider the UK, three major superpowers basically steamroller over them progressively for the past hundred years. So I think there are ways in which you can approach this, which, well, I mean, certainly from my experience at least, and who knows, I I will quiz him in future to see how much he actually picked up of this uh, interaction. But I think there are certainly ways to explain to people relatively quickly where their um, various... um, not even philosophical persuasion. I guess it's the idea of the... Well, the thing is, you need their attention first, yeah. though. I mean, so, yeah, you're, it's, well, you're right. You need both. If you can get their attention, then you need to be able to say it efficiently and quickly. Yes. But the, the, the trick is, of course, to get their attention. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think that's the biggest problem. I don't think it's difficult to say it. I think uh, what you're saying is, you know... I think it probably can be said very efficiently and right, you know, like you said, a couple of minutes. And, yeah. and actually, that's pretty good, you know. Mm. But, uh, but, but the, most of the, the, again, problem is engineering people into the position where they will sit there and listen with an inquisitive mind and actually assimilate what you're saying. Certainly. The, the trick is to find the counterexamples quickly. If they've already given you some information, then you find... You fine-tune maybe five points that are counterexamples that explain why they're... And this is difficult, because they're the... I mean, listen, it's difficult because you have to do it... You can't make general rules for exactly. it. Every individual you talk to is unique, and you've got to start off by actually listening exactly. to them, and, 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 make, and then you have to make it up from there. Certainly, certainly. It's good to have some principles... <laughs> with which to to do that. That's for why the the five stupidities are really useful to me. Uh, it's just it's it's some place to at least get a handle on something and and get into it. You know. Yes. Yes. So that um, yeah, that I guess covers the homeland security discussion. It was very well, actually that doesn't because I, I if you get more continue. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because I'm. It's just. I guess it's because I take the long-term view of this, mm-hmm. and that I just I just see homeland security is is really um, a caterpillar problem. You know, it's 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 part of the effect of the disintegration of that system is these kinds of uh, structural breakdowns, and um, and I couldn't care less. You know, if the caterpillar. Well, well, again, what I'm saying is that we're getting. I, I'm, my focus is to get beyond nation states. There isn't any we and us. Mm-hmm. I'm, t- I'm, I'm envisioning uh, the time when this is behind us. Now, exactly how we're going to get there isn't clear, but it's really clear to me that my focus is on that end point. I understand that. How important yeah. is is you actually being there to you? Being where? Well, if if the caterpillar kills you, for example. Oh, if that's listen, 
it's not well. The caterpillar doesn't. Again, I'm a cell in its body. If if my destiny <laughs> to get back to fate is that I'm I'm part of a system that is going to disintegrate rather than one that comes through, or part of a new system in the butterfly, uh, you know, my fate will be my fate. This is a good place where the concept of fate comes in. I have my ideas about what I'd like to see happen, um, but whatever happens is what's going to happen, and I'll, I can live with that. Hmm. I guess my only concern with regards to these concepts is when they impact my own safety. And it's for instance, like, what do you mean? I don't, I don't for understand. For instance, as as someone who isn't a U.S. national, for example, uh, we've discussed this before. My safety here would mean going to the horrible gulags that is the United <coughs> Kingdom. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the notion that these things ter- can turn relatively quickly, I mean, particularly um, kind of historically uh, in this country. So I guess there are certain things associated with these concepts that I would like to survive through if they got... This, you're right. This is scary shit. <laughs> this, could get really, this could get really nasty. Yes. Well, it already is really nasty in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iraq mm. and lots of other places in the world. And yes. it's probably going to get a lot nastier in a lot more places. Mm. And there, the ability through technology to bring the kind of conditions, particularly with regards to drone strikes, but also suicide bombing and a wide variety of other things to our doorsteps is something which I think is only a matter of years <laughs> yeah. away. Yeah, or days. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're headed into some really uh, disruptive times. And, um, well, it, you know, there's... <sighs> you can be a doomsdayer or... An, again, I am an optimist. I Except you brought up earlier about mass uh, depopulation. Uh, it's not unreasonable to to see three quarters of humans dead in thirty years. I mean, it, it might not happen. It might happen, uh, but you know, I think we need to be you know considering how to deal with any kind of uh, thing that comes on from the most extreme to the nicest and hope for the nicest, easiest transition we can mm. manage, but be prepared for, I mean, it could be a, a, a really a kind of species war between earthlings and humans. Yes. You know, well, the people, the people of the future and the people of the past. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's what you can see Islamic uh, radicalism as clearly. And they're right. <laughs> because because the, the world is going to wipe them out. Yeah, well, the, their yes. time is past. They're from a thousand years ago, yes. and you know, and there is no. I mean, there could be a place for them if they would leave us alone. And it, you know, basically, they're going to have to leave us alone, though. But I mean, because this is, this is the interesting or- thing. Because you, you say they will have to leave us alone, but we've been messing with them. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. No, we haven't. The humans have been messing with it. True, but, well, in, in its dichotomy, well, okay, if, if yeah. there's a dichotomy, there there may at least need to be at least three parts here, Heron. Um, so I No, guess, I know we I, I listen, okay, go ahead. So go ahead. I, I guess my point here is that uh, the tenacity of the people that we are dealing with here, particularly in terms of their ability to completely disintegrate a previous superpower, 
it seems to lend itself towards the fact that the same kind of foolish behaviour of the superpower that they're dealing with currently may also, you know, may also lead to the same kind of disintegration. Well, that's that's exactly the point. I mean, the the only real answer is a transformation of consciousness of the people of this planet. If we don't have that, nothing, then we're just going to go on exactly, you know, just creating one mess after another, Mm. uh, probably getting worse each time, Mm. (laughs) you know, it. I don't see any any solution as long as you have people who are incapable of actually distinguishing between their opinions and their experience. Mm. If if they can't make those kinds of distinctions for themselves, they can't think well enough to to live in the kind of civilization that I want to live in. Mm. I'm God. That sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you have a Kalashnikov in your lap, I'm assuming. Right. Okay. Yeah, and of course, I don't think most adult humans are going to make it. I think they'll die off, and there'll be a new generations of humans born and raised in a world uh, that's very different from this, mm. and that they will be they will be Earthlings, not humans. Mm. God, that's so idealistic sounding, but it, or you know, and yet I don't think it. I don't think it is un, unattainable. I think it really may be inevitable. Yes. You know, if if my analogy holds, if Earth can be viewed as a member of a species of organisms, it's not evolving. Then it is developing, just like an embryo develops into a particular kind of poodle. Uh, Earth maybe may have a destiny, a fate. It it may be growing into whatever it is that all Earths like this grow into. Mm. And that's sort of an assumption of mine. I mean, clearly, uh, there's no way to know whether that's really true or not. But uh, it certainly changes. It's certainly an interesting way of thinking about it's it. It's a self-fulfilling know? prophecy, though, because ultimately well, it will always end the way it will end. In those circumstances. So, I mean, if you take it... In well, everything context, is a self-fulfilling prophecy in that, in that that's sense. That's exactly my point. I mean, my yeah. point is that what you say is, is not testable because it yeah. will conclude the way it will conclude. Yeah. So. Well, and actually, that's precisely what's so great about it. Because it, once it you, you realize... But that's the truth for all assumptions. You just have to choose some assumptions to operate on. And, and get that uh, they're just your assumptions. But there are consequences for, for operating on different sets of assumptions. So they, there are real consequences of behavior. If everybody is a pessimist, well, then probably it will go to shit. <laughs> you know, if everybody's an optimist, well, at least there's a possibility that it might go better, you know. Yeah, I don't, my view is, is, in fact, the reverse, that if you remain pessimistic, you'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, only if you're uh, – well, yeah, that's what I – I assume the worst and hope for the best. Yes. And whenever I buy anything, I buy the thing that I dislike the least. Yes. Uh, and that works because then I have pleasant surprises mm. instead of unpleasant surprises. Mm. Mm. So I don't – do you recall the conversation that we had about a piano that I once owned in Australia? Vaguely. So on the – day of my grandfather's death in Australia, when I was communicating with my mother, I received an email from the fellow who destroyed the piano, indicating that, and I hadn't heard from him in literally a decade, indicating that he'd found a piano that looked similar 
And would this be an acceptable replacement? I guess he wanted to get in contact with me again for some reason. Um, but yeah, the whole thing seemed quite surreal that it all kind of came together on the one day. I'm not communicating with him, although he has bombarded me with Skype friend requests and various other things as well. Um, but I think there are certain circumstances, and this is changing the topic completely from what we were discussing previously, <laughs> where I will basically cut all ties with people. And in these circumstances and through the kind of bizarreness that occurred back then, I feel relatively comfortable not communicating with this fellow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was quite strange timing and also this notion that this piano, which annoyed me because it was nothing like the piano that was destroyed, would in some regard, and it was free to a good home. He'd found it in some classified ad in Australia and said, you know, would this be an acceptable replacement? <laughs> them, them humans. I know. Aren't, aren't they crazy? That's why I raised it, because I thought that was a, a comfortable kind of conclusion to our discussion. Um, but anyway, but anyway. So, we have some other topics of conversation from Benjamin Walker. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about talking with my friend in Australia because he's someone who I was very close with for a number of years. I'm, I communicate with him probably once every quarter now. We have a relatively long discussion, usually about the stuff that's going on in his life. But um, he has maintained contact with the people that I write about in my um, 1993 writing. He actually spent a long period of time... Um, for folks listening, there's a place called Elands, which is in northern New South Wales. And it's it was a kind of hippie colony that was created in the mid seventies by a group of engineers and uh, with a with an idealistic kind of shaman character who was then booted out of the community. And it's um, a few books have been written about it uh, in terms of you know sexual abuse and various other things um, that occurred there. But anyway, my friend and I have, have a variety of new variety of people up there. I spent a couple of times up there, one of which I wrote about in this 1993 writing. But my friend has kind of continued to go up there. None of these people, all these people, when he communicates with them, says, say, how is Tom? What's he doing? We're trying to make contact with him. They have high-speed internet connections, yet none of them have made contact with me. <laughs> and yeah. I feel very strongly that if people do that kind of stuff and they don't actually get in contact with you... I really have very little to say about it. Well, well listen, people whose language is not in alignment with their actions mm. are people to be wary of, very and true. that's just about everybody. That, I yeah. think, is the, is the very strong life lesson. So anyway, a large portion of this conversation, the latter part of this conversation that I had with my uh, friend a couple of nights ago, was him effectively pleading the case that these people you know, lived the life that they lived and it was coherent and my perspective associated with the circumstances was only my perspective and I agreed with him thoroughly through that. Um, but he then went on to say that I'm the only person that's actually named in this writing. I think it would be very difficult for people to actually retrace the steps and find the other people that are in this writing. Almost impossible, in fact. Uh, but he thought that I should... And I have been sympathetic in the past to rewrite the whole novel based in the on the east coast of the US because there are certain areas of the east coast of the US that are easily uh, yeah and, and ultimately this transcends nationality anyway true. it's a deeper concept exactly. so yeah right however yeah. when I've mentioned this because I that's actually a good idea Tom yeah, that would that yeah because it just uh, 
Well, it depends on what your purpose is. If your purpose is to get ideas out mm. to uh, as many people as possible, mm. then that would seem obvious. Mm. It's interesting because I, I agree. I'm, agree. I'm sympathetic in part to that. However, my sense is that if, for example, my idea was to do Washington, D.C., Georgia, New York City, some, some rural town in Georgia being the Elands equivalent. Yeah. And the thing that concerns me about that is that I have, fr- I have a co-worker, actually, who read um, the 1993 writing, who comes from rural Georgia. And he would be someone who would be very useful to reference. However, I would have to structurally change a large portion of the writing and... I why? Why does it? Ha- it doesn't have to be accurate. Well, here's the interesting it's, thing. Okay, you know, so, it depends on what you think your your work is about. So, okay, so if it no longer becomes an account, and yet I, I'm the narrator through those sections, so I then have to remove myself. Maybe create a. a no, I'm just saying. Narrator. No, you just. I'm just saying you change your account. That's all. Yeah. So, when I mentioned this to my wife, she found it really offensive. And the, another point that he made that I found offensive was that there was nothing Australian about my writing. And I thought, this is, this is exactly the sign of nonsense, was the reason that I left Australia, was the whole notion that I was in Australia writing as an Australian made it un-Australian. Because well, what the hell does it even mean to write exactly as an Australian? I don't know if I could tell. There are koalas and kangaroos in the book. Yeah, ah, okay. <laughs> I mean, when I see the word whilst, I usually figure that's UK. I've eliminated all the whilsts. You know, well, I mean, for, it's, I still see that. So, I, and I, so I don't, I don't associate that with Australia. Although, is that an Australian thing also? No, this is the notion of an accent and the way you speak is more to do with where you want to be than where you actually are. So, well, but vocabulary, I mean, the actual words. That's exactly my know. point. No, my point is that when I lived in Australia, people would ask me, "How long have you been here for?" <laughs> so, my, my yeah, because yeah, you don't Australia, speak yeah, you don't speak exactly yeah, don't, don't speak normal exactly. uh, Australian. So, my disdain for the place carried through into almost every aspect of my being. So that being said, however, I I can under I'm okay. So, so we are now at a two thirds situation of those that have arbitrated associated with this, Sarah. And I do respect your views here. I will create a map leading from Washington, D.C., New York, to southern Georgia. Well, no, no, just don't respect my views. I, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> it's your damn book. I'm just thinking if you want, you know, I mean, because I felt sort of lost just because... Um, I've had other American... If yeah, I'm going to sell it yeah. to America, you're right. I've had other American readers say, we don't have a clue about Australia. Let's remove the Australian part. I can do that. And yeah, that well, makes it slightly more... T- that makes it slightly more interesting as well. Well, you know, you could fictionalize the whole thing and put it in, you know, Outlandia or someplace, well, okay, you know. So I've, uh, well, half of it's already written like that. And yeah. I can rewrite the second half like that. I mean, okay, okay, I'm sympathetic. I mean, there's lots of possibilities here, you know. So, his general feedback was, uh, okay, so I'll, I will take that. He wants additional narrative stuff, which I'm sympathetic to as well. But see, there's not much difference. That's interesting now that I think about it. Creating, uh, you know, Outlandia and all, all that, going to all that. That's, I mean, it's, uh, culturally, that's no different than Australia to Americans. Exactly. That's exactly it's just, that it's, still, they have to figure this that shit out. That was my out. wife's point. That was my yeah. wife's point, that all yeah. the excess work, and if I then moved yeah. it, so yeah. Well, then maybe that's it. Just go in. There's no excess work at all. Just go in and uh, do word searches mm-hmm. and replacements. Well, that's the way I do it. <laughs> that's the way I do it without question. Yeah, but, um, you know. 
and maybe put a note in the you know in the preface put in a preface about uh, just exactly why this book is the way it is. Mm. Very good. You know, I mean that would be kind of interesting too. You know, I, I agree. I agree. And you're right. Removing the 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 nation element of it is is a problem. Okay, very good. So my anticipation was to get this thing out this month, but it will probably take me an additional two, three months. This is really becoming a luxury thing here, <laughs> particularly as I'm doing other academic writing and have ac- other academic review and feedback to do in the remaining time as well. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's the life I lead. It's the life I lead. So um, this is actually a topic that I was anticipating recording with you through the month of December. But um, I... I had a couple of strange experiences uh, leading up to the uh, end of year period. The first was that I had really violent food poisoning. I went to the office Christmas party, had some of the turkey, and then basically it had the effect of rebooting me, quite literally. I felt uh, I lost my vision for a period of time, and... Jesus. Like, <laughs> this is industrial strength food poisoning. We are not talking any like It was an overdose of tryptophan. No, 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 no. It was, um, it was turkey held under lights for a long period of time. And it just, I had a couple of slices. I, the co-worker of the Afghanistan discussion fellow had half a piece of the turkey and didn't eat any more, and had moderate food poisoning. I had two slices in oh, conversation, yeah. and it just completely flattened me. Where were you, where were you eating this? Oh, they, it was a local hotel casino place. In fact, it was oh, okay. Rock. They, were right. doing, they had a concert on for, uh, I can't think, but it was a, it was a kind of, uh, one of these screamo bands where the, Guys just get up on stage and scream and they wear kind of gothic eye makeup. Avenged yeah. Sevenfold. And uh, we went in and we were in the we were going down to the office Christmas party, which is, you know, one of the most <laughs> wearing suit and and you know, the wife was wearing the pearls and this kind of stuff. And um, we were surrounded by these kids with eye makeup and the Avenged Sevenfold shirts and hair, you know, out of yeah. the and uh, oh, cool. my, wife asked them, my wife asked them what concert they were going to, and they said Avenged Sevenfold, and she said, oh, I've never heard of them, and I've heard of them. Uh, so we then traversed through the Avenged Sevenfold line, which was probably about roughly a mile long. It was insanely long. And then we ended up in the, and then it was just a, the, the office Christmas party was just a complete washout. And, uh, <laughs> well, how early, else could one be? Came home early, and then within 24 hours had this kind of brain rebooting experience. Um, so, yeah, Terence McKenna eat your heart out on bad turkey, I think. Um, wow. And it was quite... Well, how long was it? I mean, it was just like a, a, a five-hour process or a two-day process? Uh, it, took, it took 24 hours for it really to kick in. But when it really kicked in, that's when I lost my vision and I was just in... Oh, you mean so you were going... Da- it took 24 hours yeah. from, from the consumption? Yeah. It was just sort of downhill yeah. until you yeah. well, blanked out? I woke up oh. in the... Didn't you, you didn't go to a doctor or a hospital no, or anything? I have I have a few basic rules of thumb. My grandfather, who just passed away, was a GP, and we have kind of family rules of thumb associated with these things. If I couldn't hold water for more than twelve hours, then I would seek medical help. Uh, and thankfully, after after well, I basically went downhill, and then then came the the reboot phase. Let's just say, 
And then for a 12-hour period, I couldn't hold anything, and then I could start holding water again. And basically, I recovered relatively quickly. It wasn't a five-day hospitalization kind of thing. Uh-huh. It was just violently physically ill, get everything out of my system, start with water, dry yeah, clothes, yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, so, yeah. Um, oh, that must have been great. Congratulations, man. That's <laughs> that. Those are, you know, we need more of that shit. I agree. You know? I agree entirely. In fact, um, for the sober, delirium is the only respite. <laughs> I, I think, and that's a Barbelay quote, folks. Put that down. Um, but uh, no, I, I I agree quite strongly. I don't get. I'm I'm relatively healthy, but when I get really sick, particularly with the delirious fever, I ride it as long. Well, I ride it for as long as the it's the thing lasts. Well, it's yeah. But yeah. with this, it was not like that at all. Although I, I because I slept for a day following and then went back to work. Um, but then I got into work and I was. Well, I just am grateful afterwards. I mean, for me, the gratitude uh, that I get when I realize, you know, how lucky I am to be healthy, you know, most of the time, except for little things here and there. Uh, you know, I got sick a couple of months, well, almost a year ago now. Anyway, and yeah, uh, you know, I forgot. And, and man... Gratitude is a wonderful feeling. (laughs) So the reboot experience for me was just me realizing that there was a lot of stuff that I did that was just completely nonsensical. And there was a lot of stuff that I just thought of as a chore that I should actually be thankful for. One of these things is this model rail radio thing, which is just like an explosion. Due to the circumstances of my wife's grandmother's death, there was an anticipation, particularly through some discussion, that I may have to actually stop that. Um, however, through a wave of correspondence um, and also my wife's realisation that basically this had nothing to do... I mean, to create a podcast is not the same thing as what happened to her grandmother. And there's a kind of continuum where you know these things are um, allowed. I'm certainly not doing any um, you know train-related stuff externally, but actually recording the podcast is something that um, she is, is more at peace with, let's just say. Um, but I realized that there was a lot of stuff that I just did which was actually gaining me no benefit. And I thought very strongly about my day job in this regard. And somewhat surreally, I then went back to work and within a day period, um, I was told that basically there's a likelihood that I won't have a job in the new year. Which for me was an immense reaffirmation of the experience. (laughs) The way these things work, however, is that, and the way it worked with the previous company that went belly up and other companies I've worked for that have gone belly up, is that they still want you to work insane hours leading up to the fact, which is why, in large part, we didn't do any recordings through December, was because my hours just ballooned uh, phenomenally. However, um, you know, I was able to complete vastly more than um, folks had anticipated and who knows I mean I'm I think I'm as with a number of people that work in technology we kind of anticipate that being laid off is actually a good thing in some regard because you do actually reclaim uh, a degree of your humanity so who knows <laughs> what a concept what this, what this year will bring um, but um, certainly having had that reboot phase and the things that followed and certainly even more so the things that followed at the end of last month um let's just say your your mind has been opened to new possibilities yes yes. i think the um yeah it is a it is a very it is a very strange thing i guess 
I have had some exposure to people that have made a very strong impact on my life passing away. But the mechanics of these circumstances and also dealing with... The the things that I hadn't done up until this point is deal with a large number of people who Mm. were all in the same kind of psychological... Well, not in the same kind of psychological, but were dealing with Mm. the same things. Yeah. And the way in which you take even... And you're you're also, in this case, in, in some sort of position of authority... It's very strange. That is really yeah. that is something that I found actually quite surreal, particularly as I was dealing with the train company, but also when I was standing at the funeral and realizing that I had written a majority of the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which struck me as just very I mean <laughs> I I did, I mean we've talked in the past about my wife's grandmother because they her parents ran gas stations and that has a connection to your um your adopted father um so we have talked in the past but i spent a good quantity of time with my wife's grandmother she's someone who i had she was very very tenacious she um would would laugh and in inappropriate circumstances and a variety of other things i had a lot of uh, I had a lot of love for the woman, and she was actually quite, not really on the outside of the family, because she really was kind of a matriarchal character, but she was just a bit too curious for a majority of the family, and I really enjoyed that part of her character. Um, So I had a lot of, I had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of love for the woman. It was actually quite moving to have these opportunities to do a variety of things, including touch her hand and look at her dog. No, you were, yeah, you were in a... It was a perfect uh, place for you to be. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah. So it it was all very striking. And I think, in particular, my dealing with the train company, and now there's a whole lot of additional stuff that comes from that, which I'm thankfully probably not going to be involved with. I think my experience in the short term was just dealing with things that were, as, as honestly was my wife's and her sister's experience as well, dealing with things which were immediately kind of emotionally difficult. Yeah. My experiences in the past associated with this, for example, there was a woman, an elderly woman, who I used to have coffee with uh, on a regular basis. She was actually the grandmother of some friends of mine, but they didn't really spend a lot of time with her, and I was constantly... She would get together with a group of old ladies and have a kind of coffee um, meeting, yeah. in the area, and I would frequently walk past and then be invited to sit down, and then I would start attending the coffee. You know? <laughs> anyway, so, um, and I would, and I had a great deal of, uh, her husband was a diplomat, uh, and she had lived 20 years longer than her husband had, and seen a variety of the world, and as her relationship with her grandchildren, who I knew, as they went off and did crazy things and what have you, and she described them to me, I started to doubt whether she was kind of maintaining a view of reality and then when I realized that these were actually the real circumstances I gained an even greater degree. So when she passed away I've never had a circumstance where uh, I've spontaneously grieved except in that case Yeah, uh, because she was someone who I literally would spend you know time every week with. Yeah, um, Other family members and things like that not necessarily so much. My friend who committed suicide um, was a bit like that but the circumstances associated with my wife's grandmother was that I was at work when I was called, and my wife was really, really distraught, particularly because of the circumstances of the grandmother's death and just the complete disconnection from reality um, of the circumstances. So, yeah, it's all very curious. I think 
the the thing that struck me was um, particularly talking to the relations because none of none of the relations would do were really as connected to a lot of this stuff, and I think that was part of their grieving process as well. But it was all very curious, um, and just decompressing it, I think also about my mother's time in the Middle East and my experiences in the Persian Gulf, UAE, etc. Um, and my just sense over that period of time, and even prior to her going there, when she was in Malaysia, there was an incident that occurred. That, you know, I, I may be called upon very rapidly to deal with circumstances that were quite indescribable. And I guess that's something that's just kind of back, you know, in the back of my mind uh, in all these kind of cases. So, you know, when, when someone needed to do a variety of things associated with my life's grandmother, I, and no one stepped forward, I stepped forward. But, yeah. So... Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've, there was some anticipation that we might actually go down to Riverside where the incident occurred, and it's not mu- that much further actually to go to your part of the world. So I anticipated that there may be a chance to meet you in a Starbucks somewhere through that <laughs> transition. This is another interesting thing. My brother, who has never set foot in the U.S., is coming here for a month at the end of this month, uh, and we are going to go up to the Bay Area because I didn't feel I spent any meaningful time in the Bay Area when I gave the talks. He does also want to go to LA. I'm not sure whether I'll go with him to LA. Um, but if I do go to LA, there may be a, a chance meeting in a Starbucks somewhere along the way. Um, because you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, if that happens, that's fine. But you know, I have no desire for that. Oh, ditto, ditto. I mean, that's interesting, though, because a lot of people, I mean, I try to get this over to people all the time, and there people, a lot of people, anyway, still think there's something really special and important about p- putting their monkeys in front of each other. <laughs> you know? And I always am, actually, I'm a little afraid to do that. Okay. Well, <laughs> if that's, I mean, I, I, it just, it would strike me, I mean, particularly, well, I mean, in the circumstances, I look for any possible aversion, uh, something to avert whatever was going on with these circumstances. So I have various rituals that I do when I go to Victorville anyway. The Barnes & Noble in Victorville has one of the best international magazine selections. In Victorville? In Victorville. Victorville (laughs) Valley Mall. I have never seen anything like it every time I go there. And I filmed it recently because uh, when I was yeah, there yeah, recently. Yeah, if you're going there again, please. Or is, do you have it available? The, no, the well, video? I have what I purchased just to show how eclectic the magazines are there. And f- within the niche of interests that people share with me. But um, it is quite surreal. So there were little bits and pieces that I, um, that I did. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be going into LA with my brother. He has friends at CalArts and... Um, his, uh, I think he'll probably stay with his friend at CalArts while he's there. And uh, compared to the Bay Area, because I can actually get him into things in the Bay Area, which you you normally wouldn't see. I mean, I, you know, Digibarn and things in the North Bay and things like that. And he also has an interest in... He's, he's a data miner uh, by profession. Oh, what? Um, uh, well, he has an economics degree, but he uses it to... There's, there's a term called data mining. And what that means? Oh, 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 okay. Data. data. I was hearing Darta. (laughs) Data data mining. Sorry. There you go. That's the way I. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, uh, so. Data or data, either one of those. Yeah. So he's only ever done it for government entities, and I think there's. I mean, he he has an interest in coming to this country and living here, 
and I think his ability to um, to do it for you know a commercial enterprise in this country would probably be very beneficial. So there are a few connections that I have that I'm going to introduce him to as well if he's interested in actually doing that over here. Um, but who, who, who will know? He, out of my two brothers, my brothers are twins. He was the one who decided to go and live with my father in the UK. And my other brother stayed in Australia. He's an interesting fellow. I don't know how any of this is really going to integrate. How old is he? He's 26. Okay. So I don't know how any of this is probably going to integrate to the general podcast recordings or other things. So there may be a a time when I'm uh, away. However, like I say, he's probably going to go to L.A. solo, spend time with his friend in L.A. and then come back here. So we'll be able to work things out over the kind of February period, I think, Karen. Yeah. So do you have any additional topics of discussion, anything that's come up, anything that you you want to... You know, I've been... uh doing a lot of talking in TeamSpeak for the last mm-hmm. week. Uh, I've had some pretty... Actually, I've been really behind in, in editing and, you know, and putting them up. That was what I was doing earlier. I've got about 10 hours of stuff. Gosh. Do you... What, what do you edit in? Well, I mean, I just have to listen to the, the, you know, the whole, it, I've just got, you know, I may have four hours recording on there and I I'm have to... I'm talking about the package specifically. What, what package do you edit in? Oh, uh, I use um, Amadeus Pro. Okay. Does that have... I, I I mean, Model Rail Radio now goes for four hours plus, and there's an after show that goes on for probably an additional two hours. Yeah. I use Audacity, but I use the speed-up functionality usually at about 1.8 to 1.9. Uh-huh. I just listen to it at high speed with yeah. the view that um, I can catch things and edit things. And Yeah, um, sure. And do you do something similar, or do you listen? No, to no, them? no. I haven't got time to do that. Okay. I just I, I try to I, I try to find the places where because usually my sense is there's there's something good in there. Yeah. And, and the question is where do I start it and where do I cut it off? Yeah. And there may be two of those in there, and and that's a pain in the ass to go through and listen to this shit and find out where it starts being boring and yes. you know and. Um, I wish I, I know, like I say, most of the time, I mean, I try to make the recordings work so that I don't have to deal with that. It's just got a beginning and an end, so, and I just yeah. cut off the ends and post yeah. it. You know. So rather than, rather than talking about the mechanics of editing, what, what is coming out of this new TeamSpeak communication that you're finding particularly insightful? Um, well, TeamSpeak, uh, I have a way of insulting the people there. <laughs> But it's really not an insult. I mean, at first they, you know, I say I love TeamSpeak because, you know, here only eighty percent of the people are morons and unconscious language monkeys. Mm, Russian you, roulette. You know, and um, the inverse of that, of course, is that ninety-nine uh, percent, or, or not the inverse, the other side, that ninety-nine percent are are that way in almost every other venue, every other place I've seen. Mm. And and when you do the inverse of it, it goes from 1% interesting to listen to to 20% interesting to listen to. And that is a huge step forward. And I've just been sort of grateful for that. There's a lot more traffic over the last couple months Hmm. in TeamSpeak. Who knows? No, well, maybe they're leading. Well, there's, you know, their new movie is coming out in. but you know, in just, a couple of days. TeamSpeak is the software, but the section that you're dealing oh, with... Oh, the Zeitgeist movement. The Zeitgeist. Yeah, the Zeitgeist yeah. movement server. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found yesterday evening uh, going through a series of um, remote clay hut videos on YouTube, as one does on YouTube. 
And the thing that strikes me is that a lot of the people that you speak with, and I'm actually quite sympathetic to it as well in terms of just ditching the, the complete nonsense of being a, a cell in a, in a cancerous society, and actually going out to the middle of nowhere and living in a hut, they seem to have relatively good telephone and internet connections and they have solar electricity and all this kind of stuff. And the lifestyle that they lead seems to be very conducive to a lot of the stuff that I actually enjoy doing in terms of writing and thinking. So increasingly I'm getting quite sympathetic to the notion of just ditching this thing and going to a block of land in the middle of the desert somewhere and constructing a a mud hut that, you know, will function. With a a fast internet connection. Yeah, really. Well, you could have a nice little house. You know, the thing is, you could... uh, if you can make a living, if you can find a way to survive uh, with the internet, mm-hmm. then you can live just about any damn place you want. <laughs> so, in terms of the folk that you're communicating with, on terms of me, obviously I haven't had uh, the opportunity, and if you haven't even edited it and put it online yet, I, I really haven't had the opportunity to listen to some of your recent conversations. But how uh, you seem to be dealing with, or you seem to be communicating with people more frequently in terms of the same people more frequently. Is it like that, or are you... Are you now- well, there's some new people have come in, and and it seems that there are some people... You know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go with it, because, uh, you know, I've been trying to teach this stuff for years, and I, I've, I've done a lot of public speaking, or not a lot, but some, and yeah. uh, some seminar trainings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I'd say I, I, I've probably trained a thousand people or a couple thousand people one way or another, and I can only think of maybe two or three people who actually got what it was I thought I was teaching. Mm. Everyone else, you know, laughed at the jokes and went, ah, at the right time and thought they had a good time and yeah. thought they learned a lot, but didn't really change anything. Yeah. You know? And what I've seen recently is I think a couple of people who, have, who, who continually cite that podcast 358 as being very helpful, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, you know, there are a certain number of people who are ripe for this stuff. Yeah. You know, whose lives, uh, you know, in, in all the circumstances and their own awareness and individual quirks and shit. Some of them, uh, this language stuff really uh, fills in a big, huge missing part. Yeah. And I think I've, I've run into a few of those people recently who, who actually get this thing mm. and are disturbed by it, <laughs> which is the correct response. Yeah. I mean, my, my view with regards to this uh, mission that you have is that. It is part of a much greater thing. Uh, and this is certainly, I guess, our shared interest in, in parts of this, at least, is that there is some overlap. Um, so I think, yeah, the thing that strikes me certainly from a number of your conversations is the progression, I guess, from 101 discussions to uh, whatever, 102, 103, yeah. 201 discussions. As well, there isn't any progression here. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it depends on who I'm talking to. That's the... Yeah, you know, I can respond. In fact, what, some of the stuff I haven't uh, posted yet is with a guy named uh, Devil's Advocate, which, who is really appropriately named himself because essentially he just goes in there and negates everything everybody says. He doesn't actually apply any thought and is a big downer, and I basically end up calling him out as a troll. Uh-huh. And um, so there are several recordings of my interactions <laughs> with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's good. That's going to be fun. Yes, on one of your recent recordings, you, there was some kind of team speak, I, but it was a historical recording, I think, where you were, where some fellow was having an argument with a woman, and then 
and I never, I don't, I guess, I guess things must get really heated on there that I just don't have a connection with. I don't know. Heated where? On on TeamSpeak, the people, the, the arguments sometimes spiral. Oh, out some, some, not often. It's actually remarkably well behaved. It's amazing to me how, how well behaved it is most of the time. But occasionally, and of course the text, it, it, more often the text uh, mm. can mm. get nasty. Mm. Um, uh, but and it can get vocal too. People, you know, I've heard it, but that's pretty rare. You know, people are very restrained. <laughs> you know, good to know. Good to know. Okay, well, I'll look forward to those recordings coming up. And like I say, I don't know the kind of time frame associated with two two Scrooges. Let me get that right. <laughs> that's right. You got to make sure we get this yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my wife. My wife is uh, is preparing some lunch downstairs, so I probably should. Uh, I probably should think. In fact, my my body is already thinking in that direction, um, and my mind is kind of left hanging. Um, but no. Right. So uh, until uh, this is this has been an unusual recording time for folks listening in. But, um, yeah, it's worked out pretty good. I was uh, wondering, you know, I was I'm used to the regular evening time when it's dark outside. Yeah, with the situation with my work currently, I just want to eliminate any possible hiccups that would eliminate that for this week because we haven't we haven't recorded for so long, Heron. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been. It has been too long, my friend. Too in long. fact, somebody has inquired. In fact, I, I did get an email uh-huh. uh, saying, uh, "Have you quit uh, talking with Tom Farbelay?" <laughs> We've had one fight too many. <laughs> We've got our respective ways to create our own podcasts. Yes. Yeah, there you Sadly, go. Sadly, no. I, I, do get, I do get a fair amount of correspondence now about these recordings, Heron, and I think um, certainly... Would it be possible for you to, for, to just have, have that automatically forward to me? Forwarded. Some of it comes through Facebook chat. I can get as much to you as possible. I can certainly connect you up with... Uh, but I need to know what it is, though. When, I mean, you need to be, we need to be clear on what it is and how you're sending it, because yes, otherwise yes. I'll just ignore it. Well, that's my concern, that if I do a direct forward with some of these eclectic... Anyway, we'll work it out. And what yeah. I tend to do is actually bring this, or some of this commentary, at least, to these discussions. So you may get a sense yeah. of it through that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. Listen, again, <laughs> I can't really whine because it's not taking my time to take care of it. So <laughs> whatever you do, I'll live with it. Very good. Well, until next week, my friend, a pleasure as always. Take okay. care. Good night, Tom. Or good night. <laughs> good, night. good afternoon, Aaron. <laughs> yes. See ya. See ya.